It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On MLB Fantasy Minute is presented by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the most fun I've had playing daily fantasy baseball and winning up to 25 times my money. Download the app today and use the code LOCKEDONMLB for a first deposit match up to $100. Exploring my skills on Prize Picks this season adds an extra layer of excitement to daily fantasy sports. With just a few taps, you can transform $10 into $1,000 if you've got the skills. Prize Picks is incredibly user-friendly. I can make my selections and submit my entry in less than 60 seconds. As the host of Locked On Fantasy Baseball, here are some rock-solid picks. Opt for Shohei Otani to have less than 38.5 home runs this season. Opt for Bobby Miller to have higher than 150.5 strikeouts this season. And for Bryce Harper to have higher than 97.5 ribbies this season. Download the app today and use the code LOCKEDONMLB for first deposit match up to $100. Again, download the app today. Use the code LOCKEDONMLB for first deposit match up to $100. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. This is Taylor Blake Ward with Locked On Angels, and you're listening to Locked On Braves, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome back to the Platinum Sombrero. Dylan and Doc here, as per usual. Also joined by one of our good friends. He is our eyes and ears on the ground out in the West. He's going to help us discuss the AL West. He's the host of Locked on Angels. He's one of the best draft guys in the business. He kind of does a little bit of everything. He's a verified superstar. It's Taylor Blake Ward. I don't know about verified, but I appreciate it. (laughs) Thanks for having me on, guys. Hey, welcome back. This is friend of the program, Taylor Blake Ward. You were with us at the the very, very beginning uh, and... I got to tell you, based on how we had to do things before we had to, to kind of rig a couple things together to, to record last time, now, at least from my end, you're coming in loud and clear. You sound fantastic, and you probably look great, too. I don't know about looking great, but I'll tell you, I don't have anyone uh, doing any uh, jigsaw puzzles outside my office with a <laughs> the machine. That was ridiculous last time, but that was on my end. It had nothing to do with you guys, so thanks for, uh, thanks for thinking about me and having me on. Uh, I would have never done this if I were you guys. I mean, we have to get some payback, right? You had me on Locked on Angels. I think that was the last time. I don't think either of us have been on either show lately. So uh, welcome, by the way, to Locked I should mention this is a simulcast episode with Locked on Braves. So for you Locked on guests, lucky you, you're getting to hear this a little bit earlier than the TPS folks. So um, enjoy this episode as we get the Locked on Angels and Locked on Braves together. Since the Angels are basically just the Braves West, uh, there's been a lot of movement this offseason, and I know from talking to you on Locked On Braves uh, and on Locked On Angels, you and I were both pretty confident that Garrett Cole was going to end up an angel. 
Uh, were you surprised that he ended up going to New York? Was it a weird shift that ended up happening, or was it just the Angels were firm in their offer and they weren't going to move? Well, it was interesting. So Garrett, Cole, obviously, everyone kind of expected Garrett Cole to come to the Angels. They have money. It's local for him. Um, but I think in the back of everyone's mind is the Dodgers have money. The Yankees have money. There's a few surprise teams that are probably going to you know, have a pitch for this. And when Artie Moreno met with Garrett Cole and Scott Boris, uh, it just was, you know, the Yankees are saying, hey, we're going to give them this many years. We're going to give them this much money. And Artie Moreno says, we're not doing we're not doing those years. We're not doing that money. And that's when he pulled out and went in a different direction, which I'm sure we'll talk about here. But uh, the Angels were definitely in on Garrett Cole. But it sounded like from the get go of things, Garrett Cole was going to the Yankees. And a lot of us just never knew it. And right around the time that that deal broke was when the the money for Steven Strasburg had just come out. It was seven years, $245 million, which was looked at to be just kind of the top of the market for Cole. So as soon as that happened, then he wound up adding, uh, quick math, $79 million to the top of that contract. I mean, that's you're looking at very few teams that can actually hang with something like that. And the Angels have some money to throw around, but, I mean, that's just that's a lot a lot of money to tie up in one arm. One thing goes sideways, and, the, and that's that's just not a good deal anymore. No, and, and I don't really think it had much to do with the money. I think the Angels were planning on matching the money. Um, I think the report later came out that the Angels weren't going to match the money. They were even sub $300 million. Uh, but the nine years, that's where it got really tricky. Now, see, what I heard was the offer sheet for Garrett Cole was the same one that ended up being offered to Steven Strasburg and eventual Angel and, in Doc and I opinion, who we talked about this earlier, a better bargain in Anthony Rendon, who got the 7 and 2, was it 7 and 254 or 7 and 245? Essentially the same deal that Strasburg got. Yeah, 245. And Anthony Rendon, I mean, this guy has that classic golf swing. Um, so it's not like his bat is going to break down over the seven year contract. It, it's steadily going to regress steadily, but you know, you're not going to have a half the hitter, uh, in seven years from now, you look at that swing and he's got some athleticism still. He's actually a pretty good athlete plays really well at third. Uh, this bat, I think when you bring this bat in and you have that protection behind Mike Trout, that is going to be a huge difference in this offense, which already looked like a pretty decent offense in general. It is one and of when those, you, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead, Doc. When you start looking at the lineup from top to bottom, I mean, Trout is is obviously, you know, other other world superstar, and Rendon is kind of like the, the Robin to his Batman, but then you've also got Justin Upton, you've got Andrelton Simmons in there, who his defensive contributions are more so than the offensive ones, but it's not like he's just a, a dead spot in the lineup there. You've got Otani. I mean, you've... The Angels have kind of been... I hate to use the term treading water, but they haven't been able to to take that next step. And it's kind of looking like this might be the year for them to, to really make that push and really, you know, finally get Trout that playoff series win, you know? You know, you're, uh, you, you need to tell that to my listeners. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, the offense looks incredible. Even Jason Castro is a very nice offensive piece as a catcher. Uh, and then you look at first base, it's going to be Albert Pujols. But if you can move Tommy Listella to first base and he's doing what he did last year, that is a huge game-changing bat that you bring to your lineup that you could even fill in behind Otani or you can split lefty-righty, put him, uh, put Tommy Listella at the number two spot because he's always been able to get on base. You start looking at uh, Brian Goodwin as an option who's 
really performed well offensively, and Joe Waddell will be up. The top prospect for the Angels will be up in the near future. This offense looks really good, but the questions just continue to revolve around the rotation and pitching, um, and that's kind of where I think – I'm not sure if I agree with you just yet, Doc. I think the Angels are going to be better, but I'm not sure that the rotation is going to be able to hold down. Uh, even If they make the playoffs, I'm not sure they're going to make the playoffs with this rotation. I think they'll get close, but if they make the playoffs, that rotation – I still think you're missing one piece to actually feel like you could be confident going into a uh, playoff series and feel like you may be able to come out of it. And we were just talking about Otani here. Uh, Otani is no doubt one of the most exciting players in baseball to watch, but because of the injury last year, he almost kind of fell behind the eight ball, so to speak, nationally. He kind of got overlooked a little bit. What are the expectations for Shohei Otani? Is he full go out of camp? Is is he going to play... Is he mostly just going to DH? Are they going to try to get him in into the field at all while he can't pitch? I don't think they're going to put him in the field. I think the Angels are really taking it easy when it comes to Shohei. Uh, they are planning on the plan is what his rookie season looked like, where he DHs for four days, has a day off, pitches once a week, has a day off, then goes back to the four days of DH. Um, the uh, thing with Shohei is his rookie year, he was a top, what, 10 hitter across baseball uh, based on the metrics. Um, last year, still a good hitter, but he wasn't a top 10 hitter. He was like a top 30 hitter, and he missed half the season. Didn't start uh, playing until, what, June or you know sometime around that midseason mark. Um, but Shohei coming back on the mound, he's going to pitch once a week. So the problem there is you're only going to get you know 120 innings out of him or something if he pitches a whole season. He's not going to pitch until May. Uh, that is kind of when they're expecting him to start rehab games, things along those lines. Uh, but it's just kind of watching his innings and watching, uh, make sure he comes back healthy from this Tommy John surgery. Expectations, though, I mean, you look at the projections people are putting on him, you know, a two-and-a-half win pitcher, a two-and-a-half win hitter, that's a five-win pitcher, a five-win player, which is going to be, what do you think, top 25 across all of baseball? As a five-war? Uh, we're in kind of a weird space right now where – we're getting random seven war seasons out of Cattell Marte's, but if you get five war out of a really a two year sec, I, I won't call Shohei Otani a true third year player because he missed over half the season last year, but really a guy that hasn't faced a ton of struggles other than injury adversity. Because I, I have a I have a notion that the second year for a player is always the hardest because the league has adjusted to you and now you have to adjust back. Rookie year, people don't really know what to expect. Uh, I'm expecting big things out of Shohei. I think. When you're talking about the young players, as far as uh, Shohei, Juan Soto, Ronald Acuna, I think he's probably going to place third. But I yeah, think it's more. I, I would I would absolutely agree with that too. I think it's more just because he's not going to have as many opportunities. He's probably going to play in about 130 games, most likely around 135, because they are going to give him some days off uh, the day before his start or the day after his starts. It's going to kind of curtail his innings a little bit. Plus, we always yeah, know DHs hey. get kind of hammered as far as the value goes. And projections are also based on a full season, you know, 162 games. Um, if Shohei, though, if he's a two-win pitcher and a two-win hitter and he's a four-win player or a four-war player, I still think that's meeting expectations. Uh, I mean, oh, anytime absolutely. you can add anytime you can add a four-win player on a whim and Shohei's not even making uh, upwards of a million bucks or whatever, that's, uh, that's a steal. Absolutely. I mean, and, and it's just a really good-looking lineup. If Justin Upton can manage to stay healthy for a season, you talk about Tommy LaStella, if what he showed last year is for real, uh, and they, they retain the 2019 baseball and don't go back to the 2018 baseball, 
that's a fun lineup. The question, though, like you said, is the rotation. And as we all in Braves country like to joke that you guys are Braves West, you did end up adding Julio Tehran, uh, which we all have been saying for, what, Doc, probably four months that Julio's going to end up with the Angels? Well, I'm not going to be convinced that he's not going to start on opening day for the Braves until the actual season starts. He's going to find a way. He will find a way back here for certain. So uh, take care of him out there, man. We, we some of us still really care about him a lot. But you also you you added Dylan Bundy out there as well, and he he's been such a mixed bag all this time with Baltimore. He's a real good change of scenery candidate. So one thing that that the Angels do have this year is that they've got some really intriguing pieces that they they should be able to get a little bit farther in previous years. Yeah, and a big thing with Dylan Bundy and Julio Tehran is they add innings. The Angels have needed innings from their rotation for years and years now. Uh, the bullpen has looked fine, but we even saw last year the Angels were within playoff grasp uh, going into the trade deadline or even after the trade deadline going into August, and the bullpen just could not hold it anymore because all these bullpen pieces are over 50, 60 innings going into August. Uh, so Julio Tehran and Dylan Bundy, I think that adds innings. And if Dylan Bundy can be a change of scenery guy, that's great. And Julio Tehran just continues to defeat the metrics, uh, put on him. You know, the metrics are just not friendly to him, but if he can beat that out and be a guy that gives you a three and a half ERA over 170 something innings, that's a, such a valuable piece. You're limiting innings. It's a run prevention item. So those two guys, the expectations are to fill the innings. It seems. But obviously, there's some upside to both of those guys as well. I know we're about to get into the rest of the AL West. I know there's a whole lot to talk about there, but this would not be... We couldn't have any Angels person on here and Doc and I, in good faith, not ask about the giant, super talented elephant in the room. Joe Adele. Uh, It's not very often that you can look at a guy and be like, dude, this guy's almost as talented as Trout. Uh, You look at Joe Adele, and there's... That's kind of what comes up. You talked about he's the top Angels prospect. He might be the top prospect in baseball if it weren't for some guy called Wander Franco. Uh, what are you? What are expectations for Joe Adele? Is he going to make it up early this season? Are they going to play service time with him? Is it, should we expect him up around the deadline, or does he have an actual shot to make this roster out of spring training? I still think it's a wait and see. Uh, Joe Adele only played something like 30 games in AAA last year, which, you know, a lot of guys make that jump from AA to AAA. But to have him see major league arms, even if they're fringy major league arms or veterans that just aren't as talented anymore, to see that major league style and see him perform against that is going to help. I also think that's a great excuse to use for service time manipulation if that is the case. Uh, but the Angels are in a spot where you have to play with your best talent. They, If they want to make the playoffs, they have to start from day one, put the best talent on the field. And if Joe Adele is it, then you have to use that. Uh, Joe still has a little bit of swing and miss. You have to keep in mind he's 20, 21 years old. I, know, I don't know if he's turned 21 yet, but 20 years old. Um, and that's a big, you know, throwing a guy like that, the guy's makeup is off the charts. I don't doubt that he has the, the momentum and, and the uh, mental capacity to jump into a major league game and say, I'm going to take a deep, man. I'm going to look at, you know, there's Garrett Cole on the mound. I'm going to take him deep right now. But uh, Joe Adele, I would expect probably, probably before June, but not deep into May. I would say May is probably a good time to expect Joe Adele to be up, but that's a game changer. And, uh, it's a wait and see on what you can expect, but if he comes up and does things like what Ronald Acuna Jr. did, 
I don't think anybody would be surprised. I don't know if I, I've always said that Ronald Acuna Jr. is this. You could argue he's the second best player in baseball to Trout. Uh, but if Adele can be up and come and be anything like Ronald Acuna Jr. and have that impact, then, you know, there's an argument to be made that, yeah, he is, you know, a superstar of the future here. And you saw last year teams really kind of staring the service time thing in the face and saying, you know, we're not going to we're not going to mess around like this. The Mets did it with Pete Alonso. They got very re- rewarded. Uh, the Padres did it with Fernando Tatis. It wasn't quite as happy of a story over there, but it was it was. Before, when it was like when the Braves did it with Jason Hayward in 2010, it was like, oh my God, what are they doing? And and even years into his career, uh, when he got traded for Shelby Miller, it was you know if they hadn't played service time, then they would be trading him for two years instead of one, and it would have made the biggest difference for for what would have happened in the rebuild. So, hopefully, they will if they look at it and they say he's ready and we we can just drop him into the outfield now then they're not going to wind up playing games with him because i think it just engenders a lot of bad will between the uh the team and the player especially if the player knows he's ready I mean, you saw what happened with chris bryant it's been going on all season or all off season rather and joe has uh become a scott boris client in the process oh, um good. i i wouldn't be surprised if the angels were making some kind of offer maybe not this year but maybe next to similar to what uh, ronald Cooney jr did but similar to what lou bob had in a uh, Chicago there where they give him a seven year contract, get that extra year and go through arbitration. Uh, that kind of deal. I mean, Joe, if he's up this year as a 21 year old, he'll still be a free agent at 28 if that's the case. Uh, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if that came out maybe a year from now though. I think the angels are looking at their funding a little different and waiting for Albert Pujols to come off the books, which is two years, but you could start planning next year as well. Now, with Mike Trout getting the contract that he got, uh, first off, nobody should be shocked. I think the craziest thing, and I've mentioned this to uh, my dad, who's an old-school baseball fan, who thinks it's insane that baseball players get paid what they get paid. Um, it's it's such a weird place to be in this world where you can look at a guy that's making $430, $435 million over his, what, 13 years and say that by what he puts up, he's still technically kind of underpaid. I mean, it's just, it's a testament to how good he is, but we're talking about, I I don't know who the next player that's going to eclipse that number is. I don't know if anybody's going to eclipse that number for years and years, but as an Angels host and Angels fan, this had to happen. Like, there there was no way that you could let Mike Trout leave. You could not be the guy that lost Mike Trout, right? No, 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 you cannot. Um, and you're talking, you know, $434 million over 12 years. You, you know, that's uh, if you do it by the metrics, you know, and, and every win or war is worth 9 million, you know, that's 48.3 war, which a lot of guys don't even get close to that in their career. We break that down into 12 years. Mike Trout just has to average four war a season and he's matched the value of his contract. Essentially. He's going to put that <laughs> up in five years. He hasn't had a season where he's been under four. I mean, not even close. This guy is so unreal when it comes to baseball. Uh, but it, being the owner or the general manager that lets Mike Trout hit free agency, my gosh, that's a that's a huge firing offense. Uh, you know, similar to letting uh, Mookie Betts walk away from the Boston Red Sox. But yeah, you cannot let that happen. Uh, Billy Epler did a great job with this. Artie Moreno is not afraid to spend money, very involved in his team, sometimes even overly involved with his team. But, you know, those guys went out and did this and made Mike Trout an angel for life. 
And now it's just about getting him into the playoffs and getting him into a winning scenario. Well, anything that will keep Trout from wearing a Philadelphia Eagles hat when he goes into the Hall of Fame will be, will be just fine with me. So... <laughs> <laughs> he's going to wind up wearing the uh, wearing the helmet during his uh, during his speech, I'm sure. But right, so so we we're looking at the AL West here. I mean, the Angels they do they do have a chance to, to make a make some waves here. You know, it's a good, interesting team to follow. And they being Braves West, I mean, there have been so many back and forth deals. It's not just the Andrews and Simmons and a Sean Newcomb deal. There have been. It seems like every time you turn around that, that Braves and Angels are swapping players somehow. But this particular offseason has been really, really interesting for the division based on this whole thing with the uh, trash can gate, code breaker, whatever you want to call it, with, with the Astros is what's going on now. And, and we don't have to rehash all of the cheating scandal and everything, but I am curious. I mean, they won 107 games last year, and whether they earned it or not, we can debate all day long. But... Now that all this is out and players are coming out and they're starting to apologize, acknowledging, yeah, we absolutely did this. What do you think is going to be the mindset for them moving forward? Because they are going to be under a microscope big time. You think there's going to be like a lasting mental impact from this or do you think that they'll be able to move on? I think they've already moved on. <laughs> no one's apologized for it. I think they've moved on. They said we got caught and nothing happened. So screw it. We're just going to go play baseball now. Um, the guys I'm curious about, so George Springer and Jose Altuve, well, Jose Altuve is a little different because of his size, so his prospect profile wasn't great. But you look at Carlos Correa, uh, George Springer, a lot of these guys were still top prospects. And it's been noted that this was not something that happened in the minors. So we know that these guys are still world-class baseball players. Alex Bregman still was a top prospect, but not noted as highly regarded as he is. Um, and now you're looking at him as an MVP perennial player, yet he was never necessarily as high prospect status as others. So that's a guy that I'm kind of worried about. Not worried about in a sense, but is he actually an MVP candidate or is he just an above average baseball player? Either way, it's still fine, but that's a big difference between being, you know, let's say a four or five war player, which is well above average to being a seven or eight war player. And that's where I want to watch Alex Bregman more than anything. Um, but the pitching staff, you know, they still have all their, uh, you know, there's a lot of things behind closed doors that aren't being announced about their pitching staff, which <laughs> I think Trevor Bauer has talked about pretty regularly. Um, and you're going to see things like this. I still think the Astros are a very wildly talented team that's going to win 90 something games, walk away with the AL West. Uh, I, there may be a small difference. I don't think it's going to be major, though. I mean, just talking about that behind closed doors, riffraff. Talking about the uh, the substances used. Uh, you can say pine tar, but if you really want to get into it, Trevor Bauer um, he kind of details one of these hidden secrets that a lot of higher end pitchers know using uh, using Coca Cola, for instance. Uh, yeah. To to provide some really good grip and, and increase your spin rates there. Uh, I would say the only thing on that is. I'm very happy that Charlie Morton had the season he did in Tampa Bay because I love Charlie Morton and I was so worried that he was a product of, you know, some uh, less than scrupulous behavior. Um, yeah, yeah, fair. <laughs> but to that note, there is. Can, a, can I actually add on real quick? Can sure. I add something on here? Of course you can. 
There is two major impacts with the Astros, in my opinion. One is the loss of A.J. Hinch. I think that is a huge loss for the Astros. And I know that managers don't have this giant say, you know, it could be two or three wins difference. But losing A.J. Hinch and bringing in Dusty Baker, I think that's a win in itself that you or a, a loss. I think you've lost at least a win or two just in that department. However, you regain it by getting rid of Jeff Luna. What an idiot, man. That guy. <laughs> no, it, it, it's like running a mafia down in Houston. And um, I think the Houston Astros are better off without Jeff Luno than with him. Oh, no doubt. I mean, this is a guy that's not close. Luno, yeah. Luno, by the way, if you go all the way back to because the Astros were not the first team to get busted using electronics to, uh, shall we say, kind of circumvent the integrity of the game. If you remember back when the Cardinals got hammered for hacking into the Astros servers, the actual explanation was because when Jeff Luno was with the Cardinals, apparently when he left, the rumor has it that he took some files with him. and Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me in the least. The Cardinals hacked into that system to see what they had on him. Now, that could just be the Cardinals making an excuse, which is probably what it is, because let's not pretend that the Cardinals are an upstanding organization uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But when you're talking about things like the trash can gator buzzer gate, because let's be honest, Altuve was 100% wearing a buzzer. Um when you're looking at stuff like this, you kind of get all this far-reaching range. You get the instant reaction from a lot of baseball players. But now that you see what's come down today about Carlos Beltran, it kind of reinforces what I've been saying. The Astros are not the only team that's done this. They're just the only team that's got caught. And if you if oh. you really want to if you really want to buy into the story that Beltran just steamrolled everybody and said, "No, we're doing this." Um, do you really think his one season with the Astros was the only year he did it because he was with the Yankees both before and after? No, 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 not, not even close. Uh, the problem I have here is Carlos Beltran was a Hall of Famer for me, and it was he still really is close. for me. He still is for me. I'll be honest. Yeah, it, yeah. And but my issue here is now Jose Altuve has a big question mark on top of him, and Jose Altuve is putting together what could be a Hall of Fame career, and that's kind of where the problem is. But no, the, the Houston Astros are not the only team. I wouldn't be surprised if it came out. They, they may have gone to a uh, max on this in some way, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was half the league that had something along the lines of this. Well, if you remember, Logan Morrison put out a, a post on Instagram for like a day where he kind of flat out said he played with like five teams in the last few years, and he kind of oh, yeah. said that all five teams that he'd been on had some form of electronic sign stealing. Now, whether they actually had buzzers taped to their body to let them know which pitch was coming. I'm not sure. The Astros got a little intricate with it. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it is one of these weird kind of things that you get into in baseball because baseball, like a lot of these professional sports, Richard Petty said it best. It's my job to cheat and it's your job to catch me. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Um, you Thank gotta, you for adding Richard Petty into this. My gosh, obviously. way to go. I mean, but you, you got to, as a baseball fan, you got to kind of figure out what side of this you want to be on because there's no doubt that this is the biggest scandal baseball has faced since the steroid era, since the Mitchell report. This is by far the biggest scandal. Oh, very much so. And, you know, it's going to be interesting what comes out, what doesn't come out. Um, you know, so Logan, let's see, you were talking about Logan Morrison. He played for Seattle, Tampa, Minnesota, who. Uh, the Dodgers, yeah, it, New York. Yeah, this is going to be something that <laughs> steroids was hidden for a long time, and that's because it was almost, you know, 
he, Bud Selig basically told his players, he's like, you want to make the game more interesting? Let's do this little needle thing and put it in your arm and make you stronger, you know? <laughs> that and it wasn't I illegal. If, it wasn't tested for until 2004. Yeah, no. And I'm not saying, I don't think that Rob Manfred is out there saying, you know, hey, let's use this technology to cheat the game. But I wouldn't be surprised if he's saying, you know, he's holding back some information on some big name programs, you know, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, uh, whoever else, you know, twins, whoever it may be, you know, you have all these teams, heck, even a, a team that doesn't profit well, like the Tampa Bay Rays, maybe they have something and that's why they're so stinking good. But I would not be surprised if it was over half the leagues in baseball that had some form of electronic sign stealing, it's just some form. It doesn't have to be major, but some minor tweak in them that allows them to know these. And, you know, sometimes you look at teams where it's like, how how could this particular collection of players wind up being as good as they are? And there, there must be something in the water in there. And, and Tampa's a really good example. They're running with substandard payrolls. I mean, just like half of what other teams are doing, and they're out there winning 90-plus a year. It's the same thing with the Oakland A's. It seems like every year, like, uh, I guess they're going to be okay, and then they wind up going on some massive run. So, I mean, last year they won 97, and they, they could be poised to, to pounce on this too. But I mean, I still I I looked at the roster from from last season. Even looking at the numbers, I'm like, I still can't believe that that collection of guys did that. And I don't know if they're going to be able to do it again. And I, I don't want to discredit um, anyone that develops these players either, because both Tampa and Oakland, and we're just touching on them in particular, they are so good at developing talent. So I, I would never take anything away from that. But yeah, you you really do question, and it starts to lead you to questioning every single team and everything to where, you know, we all love Juan Soto. I don't know about you guys. I, I love Juan Soto, but the fact that he's taking a pitch when it's at 40 feet, notice that it's a ball and going to grabbing his, uh, well, shoot his testicles, you know, grabbing his testicles saying, ha ha, that was a slider that didn't, didn't hit the zone. <laughs> I mean, pulling a little Reese McGuire there. If you look into the, the unfortunate report that came out today on Wednesday, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just some of these things make you shake your head. It it is an interesting thing. It, it's very the the question is how deep do you want to go into it? Because you can talk about oh nobody in the steroid era should be in the Hall of Fame. Then you can go back and say well people were taking greenies and steroids by the way in the sixties, seventies, and eighties. So how many of those records are clean? Then you go back and you realize that the reason Mickey Mantle allegedly, I guess I should say. Uh, lost the race against Maris was because he had to miss a few games because he had an infected abscess from injecting himself with, let's just say, some sort of synthetic testosterone. Uh, This is not some new problem. And even the electronic sign stealing, as soon as they introduced iPads, the Red Sox were right away using them to steal signs. I mean, it's one of these things that always happens. Which, in a sense, is how can you say that you can't permit this because there is nothing in the rule book noting this. So, to me, props on the Red Sox for taking advantage of a situation where there was no rule. And then, you know, you have to make this rule. So, for teams that did it uh, when it first started and there was no rule, props to them. But it's a, I think the thing with the Astros is it's continued to go on and even hit almost a, a more extreme scenario and that's just arrogance uh, from, you know, the front office there. And that's such a disappointing thing. I think, you know, going back to AJ Hinch, I'm so upset that he never put his foot down and said, no, we're not pulling this crap. Fire me. I'll get a job. I'm the best manager in baseball. I'll find a job elsewhere. I don't get why AJ never did that. 
So this is the part that I struggle with from the time that, you know, I, I played a little bit in my day. You did as well. Um, you're not going to be, you're like, people talk about this with Mike Fires. Why didn't he blow the whistle when he's with the Astros? No one's going to do that to their own team, period. Whether or not you profit, because there's some players that quite honestly don't like knowing what pitch is coming because they feel it makes them more likely to swing at anything. Um, that doesn't excuse it by any means. But there's a lot of different layers to this thing. You got to weigh, especially if you're the coach. Like, what's the one thing that you want to do as a coach? You want to win. You want to win a championship. And if you believe or you know that it's prevalent throughout the rest of the league, then you're gonna sit, you're gonna start making excuses for yourself. The problem is, to me, the problem is not that the the players tried to do this. I expect players to do that. Uh, I've known far too many players in my day and little shortcuts that players take to expect anything less. Uh, it's when the front office gets involved in it as well. That's when it kind of turns it from all right. The players are trying to get a little bit of a competitive advantage to this is a full on system where they're effectively trying to be the Patriots of Major League Baseball. Yeah, uh, I mean, <laughs> I can't say anything more because you said everything that uh, I think I was going to say. So there you go. <laughs> no, I, I agree. <laughs> I concur. Well, we we could talk about the Astros scandal pretty much all day, but we do have to. So there are some other teams in the AL West that we should probably talk about. Uh, we mentioned Oakland in passing. Oakland is one of these teams that is in a very weird spot. They've got some very, very talented individuals, guys like Matt Chapman, uh, getting Frankie Montez back from PED uh, suspension. Wonder how he's going to be. Sean Manaya coming back. They've got AJ Puck and Jesus Lazardo, who are expected to contribute this year. Ramon Laureano with the gigantic thousand foot laser throw uh, fame. Mark Canna, who is a really good player. But the, the A's are in this weird spot where. If the Angels are going to take a big step forward like we all kind of think they do, it's going to be at the expense of Oakland, who's a team that didn't really do much this offseason because if there's one thing Oakland does, it's not pay anybody. Uh, they still have kind of – they're in this weird spot where they almost kind of have to go for it as much as Oakland ever does because Matt Chapman is going to get very expensive next year, next year the year after when he starts hitting his arbitration years. He's going to be a guy like Mookie. He's going to be getting like $20 million arbitrations. And that's something that Oakland can't really afford to do. So when we're talking about Oakland, what do you think they end up being? Do you think that they're still ahead of the Angels this year? Do you think that they kind of drop around to that 84 to 86 win? The biggest question mark in the AL West is what the Oakland A's are. What are they? Um, their lineup, you know, Canna, Loriano, Piscotti, Chapman, Barreto, Olsen, Semyon, Chris Davis. That's a great lineup. That's a fantastic lineup. But what is their rotation going to do? Is Sean Manaya as good as we expect him to be? Is Frankie Montas coming back? And is he going to be the same? Um, can you expect 150 innings from both Jesus Lazardo and AJ Puck to be such high caliber innings? I just don't. I think I'm in the same boat as everyone else is what are the Oakland A's? Are they a 95 win team? Are they an 85 win team? Or are they a 75 win team? And I just don't know. So I kind of bridge the gap and say, yeah, this looks like a mid eighties win team to me. <laughs> and they've the, all of their prospects that they've got that they've kind of ascended all at once. Cause they've, they've got Sean Murphy that made it up as well. I mean, all of these guys have all the talent in the world, but when you, when you look around, like you alluded to b between uh, Montas and and Puck and Lazardo and Manaya. I mean, that's eighty percent of your rotation right there. And who knows? It, it could wind up being just nothing for anybody. They just lost Daniel Mangdon, and he's not even. It's not even like he's an elite guy, but he's somebody that that was expected to contribute. And now 
he had a uh, elbow debridement i think i think i don't even know what that is so you know there's the range of outcomes for them is probably as wide as anybody in the division. I mean, you, you look at the Astros, like you said, they're going to win 90-plus, cheating or not. The Angels have taken major step forward. You can count on them to be in contention. The Rangers, well, they got Corey Kluber, and they didn't have to give up a lot for him, which that's pretty cool, I guess. But they did, And then the, their next biggest addition was Todd Frazier, and then the Mariners, well, I mean, who know, you know that they're going to be that one team. Every division's got one that the team's just not going for it at all, and they're being very upfront about that. So they just yeah. signed their they signed their best player today for one year, two million dollars in Taiwan Walker. That is the best player the Mariners have on their roster, if you ask me. <laughs> uh, not anymore, dude. I I would have thought that I was a big Taiwan Walker fan until I saw that he was throwing eighty five to eighty eight. He is down. Uh, a, it, it's it's February. It doesn't bother me at all. It's he's February. Down a, he's down a back. full ten miles an hour. It's been two years. Yeah, but he was throwing ninety one in September. He was throwing ninety one, ninety two in September. Okay, he was topping ninety eight two years ago. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's different. <laughs> so is Dylan Bundy. <laughs> I mean, I'm so sad about that. I'm a huge Tywin Walker guy. And when I saw 85 to 88, my heart threw up a little bit. I was I was big on him for like trying to get Alex to be like, hey, man, sign this guy. And uh, then I saw 85 to 88, and, and I felt genuinely depressed. So I guess if Mariners fans are looking for some sort of silver lining, you still have Kyle Lewis. Uh, Evan White's going to be on the big league club this year if that does anything for you. I mean, you got Jared Kelenic and Justin Dunn. Julio Rodriguez oh, yeah. is a stud. J-Rod. <laughs> um, Doc, you brought up the Rangers. Uh, I would love to just chat about the Rangers here real quick if you guys are all right with that. Yeah. So this offense, oh my gosh, what is happening there? Um, this offense pending J- Joey Gallo, that is a scary offense to, I mean, that's a scary offense for the Rangers to take out on the field 162 times. Easy to just shut down that offense. But I'm looking at this rotation here of Kluber, Miner, Lynn, Gibson, Lyles. I would not want to face that for a three-game series on any mark. Even if you throw an Ariel Harado at the end of that, I don't want to face them for a series. I don't think I can hit them. Well, you look at Lance Lynn, by the way, who posted a, almost a seven-war season as a pitcher last year. Lance Lynn, one of the most undersung dominant seasons last year as a pitcher. Minor kind of regressed towards the end of the year, but it was his first year back as a full starter, so you wonder if fatigue kind of set in. Getting Kluber for nothing is huge, uh, as long as Kluber's not broke. So that part's true. Offensively, though, man, they are basically Joey Gallo and then nothing. Oh, it's, I mean, I love Elvis Andrews, same as the next guy, but he's not, he's not Elvis Andrews of old. Rudy Odor is going to hit, you know, Mendoza line with 20 home runs somehow. He does it every year. Um, since they're two, you know, but, hey, there's your talent right there. But outside of that, I mean, is Willie Calhoun going to be your cleanup hitter? Rudy Odor is going to have more hit by pitches than actual hits this year. Okay. I like that. He gets hit all the time. <laughs> He's got that BGO quality to him. Speaking of hit all the time, if I were going we're gonna to get to the draft here in a second, and I got one other thing I want to talk about before we let you go. But if I were to set the over under on how many Astros, how many times the Astros players get hit, if I were going to say, let's say, if I set the over under for Bregman, who's kind of been the face of the whole toolness, if I put the over under on thirty five, what are you taking? Oh, I'm taking way under. Okay, you don't think he's going to get attacked a lot. Oh, I think he's going to get pitched inside, and I think he's going to lean into a couple. But I don't think, I don't think uh, players please the game perfectly fine. Um, but I don't know if that's a retaliation. I think a lot of players understand that 
suddenly that's a man on base you have to worry about. It's not it's not the retaliation of putting this in the, you know, putting a baseball in the guy's ass. It's, oh man, I just put a guy on first. Why'd I do that? So I, 35, that's uh, I would say 15 to 20. I'll go with 15 to 20 and I'll say intentional. So if he gets hit 15 times outside of that unintentionally, then sure. But, you know, I think he's going to get 15, 15 right in the ass. And then, you know, outside of that, whatever it comes natural. I think there's going to be just a lot of jawing back and forth. You know, this is going to be, you're going to see people showing up to the park with inflatable trash cans and it's, it's going to follow them everywhere. Like some of these guys, it's going to follow them for the rest of their career, no matter what. Angel stadium opening, uh, opening night at angel stadium, which is like their sixth, seventh game or whatever is against the Astros. There are groups of Dodger fans and groups of Yankee fans that are coming to Angel Stadium just to jaw at the Astros. And I, you can only assume that every trash can in the place is going to have to suddenly be made of rubber. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's going to be so many people banging on every trash can every time the Astros are up. And I think it's the thing I hate is I hope it doesn't become a distraction to the game itself, um, which, you know, you have some form of this, whatever it is. But I don't want to be sitting there at a ballpark for three hours hearing some, you know, drunk jackass sitting there hitting the trash can every twenty seconds. All right, all right. I think I think they're gonna get. Uh, I think they're gonna get hit a lot in spring training. Maybe not so much as the season gets going. Uh, but Fair, yeah, that's a, that's a good. I'll, I'll go with that remark. That's a good one. All right, so we got about five minutes left here, and as per your request, because we do take requests on this show, we're gonna do ah. our first uh, our first little draft talk here. So I've got a few guys here, and I'm very proud of the fact that I'm further along in my draft coverage than Doc is at the moment. Um, it's kind of a new thing. Doc is usually the super draft guy, but not this year. Uh, if I were, I'm gonna throw out a few names of guys that could be around when the Braves are picking. Uh, at 25, you tell me which of these guys is the best, who you like, uh, so on and so forth. So I'm just going to throw, I'm going to throw three guys at you. You ready? Yeah, let's go. All right. Drew Bowser. Uh, I'm going to go Drew Bowser, Dylan Cruz, and Cole Wilcox. So you're saying when it comes to the Braves here, right? Yes. I think Drew Bowser is the kind of guy that would be good for the development team with the Braves. You said uh, Dylan Cruz. Yes. That would be a guy. That guy seems like he would make sense for the Braves a lot. Uh, who was the third guy you mentioned? Cole Wilcox from UGA. Ah, Cole Wilcox. <laughs> so Cole Wilcox has picked up uh, quite a few ticks on his fastball there. He's fun. Um, when it comes to the Braves, I think Dylan Cruz fits their profile the best. Kind of that he's that unique athlete that's a little bit stiff, but that stiffness kind of gives him that power juice that uh, the Braves look for. Um, one thing the Braves really look at is the hit tool. And I think Dylan Cruz has the better hit tool of this group. Um, Cole Wilcox, yeah, he fits that profile, but I think Cole Wilcox looks a little bit more like a Sean Newcomb than he does a Chris Sale, if that makes sense. Absolutely does. Big-time fastball sometimes does not know where the off-speed's actually going. Right. Um, as for uh, you were mentioning um, Drew Bowser, 
Yeah, I think he's a guy that's more, depending on how his spring goes, that's going to be a guy that someone falls in love with the tools, but knows that they're going to have to develop some mechanical things with him. Okay. Now, one more, because you did get those out pretty quickly. Who is your number one sleeper for the first round of this draft? My number one sleeper for the first round or for the first overall pick? Uh, First round overall. Like, who's your Who's your guy that you think sneaks into the first round that nobody's really talking about? Um, I really like this kid, Mario Zabala out of Puerto Rico. Um, just an athletic kid that doesn't have athletic style of play, if that makes sense, but incredibly strong, has some speed to him, has some defensive qualities to him. I think that he's a guy that starts to shoot up boards. Um, it's going to be hard to track his performance because he is in Puerto Rico, but he's also at the uh, baseball academy down there, which continues to develop. It's kind of like a, an early pro development place, kind of like IMG Academy down in Florida, or uh, even Georgia Premier, which Georgia Premier has. Uh, they've got a kid, too, that's pretty good. Uh, Harold Cole, the shortstop down there. He's but he's more of a defensive guy, but I'm going to go with Mario Zabala. I really like him, but just an outfielder from Puerto Rico. Okay, I mean... Remember to mark and those I'm not, names I'm down. not saying number one overall pick, but I mean, if this guy snuck into the top 30, and I wouldn't be surprised. Make sure you write those names down so you can get early, early draft coverage here on the Locked on Angels, on the Locked on Braves, and essentially any show where Taylor decides to grace with his presence. But <laughs> that's all we've got time for today. Uh, Taylor, man, thanks for coming on. It's always a blast. Uh, remember, guys, Locked On Braves listeners, you guys get to hear this one a little bit early, so try not to spoil this for the TPS listeners. I love you both so very much, but Taylor, thank you, sir. It was always a pleasure. Hey, thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. And uh, Well, can't wait to talk to you in a few months here when the draft gets rolling. Once I get this, uh, Once I get this spreadsheet, that I'm still building out that this giant punishingly intricate spreadsheet that I always work on every year. I'm gonna have a ton of questions for you, and uh, just make sure I'm pronouncing this right. Heston Kurjad out of Arkansas, is that right? I go with Kerstad or Kerstad, like Erstad, but with a Kerr in front of it. But I've heard multiple things, so it could be Kershad, but I think it's Kurt. I think it's like Darren Erstad, but with a K in front of it. Okay, I was trying to make him unnecessarily Dutch. See, this is good. This is this is how we all gather information. You know what? The easiest way to do it, um, Phil Munson is their broadcaster, but I bet you I can pull up on YouTube right now exactly how to say it. Nope, that's not the one, but I'll figure it out. I'll get it to you. I'll I'll send you a link saying this is how you say it. <laughs> we'll do we'll do some deep diving. But for all of, for those of you listening out there, thank you guys so much for tuning in for another week here on the Platinum Sombrero. It's the simulcast, the Platinum Sombrero, and the Locked On Braves. We'll catch you guys next week. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.